Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Here Jesus is taking what is essential for a healthy physical life and saying, what bread is to the body, I am to the soul and spirit of mankind. Just as the body is dependent on food to live, so our spirits are dependent on Christ for life in every sense. But we just don't realize it. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the Gospel of John. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on John chapter 6, verse 35, in the message titled, I Am the Bread of Life. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Well, here we are in the sixth chapter of John once again, and this is a long, long chapter, and there's so much here. And we're going to zero in today on the first of the I am statements. And so verse 35 is where we will land here in a few moments. But it's there that Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Now, these I am statements are significant because if you remember, God revealed himself to Moses with the name, I am that I am. But when you hear that, you wonder, well, what does that even mean? Moses says to the Lord, who should I say sent me to the children of Israel? God said, say, I am who I am, has sent you. So there are two ideas expressed in I am that I am. The first is that of the aseity of God. Now, aseity is a theological term that expresses the idea of self-existence. So God exists by his own power. He alone is self-existent. Only God is self-existent. And, and this, of course, is what puts him in that category all by himself. It is this characteristic that separates God from all other things. God alone can say, I am that I am. So, so that's the first idea. But there is another idea behind God's name being I am that I am. And we'll come back to that in a moment when we look at the 35th verse. But before we do that, let's kind of just catch up in the context. Remember here, the backdrop, as we saw from our previous teaching, is the miracle of the multiplying of the loaves and the fish. So that's the backdrop for all of the events that we're reading about now and we'll look at as we continue through the sixth chapter. So in that context, there are a few things that I want us to see before we get to our main point in verse 35. Number one, look with me at 
verse 26, or verse 25, it says, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. So the first thing I want us to notice is that Jesus exposes their wrong motive. And it's really, I mean, to me, it's, it's kind of fascinating to think that this group of people, I mean, imagine you're there and this whole thing happens where there's a multitude of people 10,000, 15,000, we don't know the exact number. We know there were 5,000 men alone, not to mention women and children. And we know the story. There are a few loaves of bread, a few small fish, and the entire multitude eats and is satisfied. Now, wouldn't you think that you would just be absolutely awestruck at the miraculous element of this. Wouldn't you think that people would be saying, oh my goodness, who could this person be? But Jesus says that's not what they were thinking. They were thinking, man, that guy fed every one of us. That's amazing. Maybe he'll just feed us all the time and we won't even have to worry about our daily meal plans or any of that. I mean, that's what's in their head. So the point is their thinking is completely on the level of the flesh and they're missing the spiritual component here entirely. So that's the first thing. Secondly, we see that he corrects their misguided materialistic pursuits. Look at verse 27. Do not work for the food that spoils. Or I'm more used to the New King James, do not labor for the food that perishes. Do not work for the food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has placed his seal. So Jesus is talking to them and presenting to them spiritual realities. They are thinking purely in materialistic terms. And they're ready to labor for the material that will never, ever satisfy. And so Jesus corrects their misguided materialistic pursuits. And then... They ask him, so the context here is working or laboring, and so now they're asking him in response, so, okay, so what, you're, you're telling us not to labor for these materialistic things, so how do we labor for God? What is the work of God that we can do? And Jesus answered, verse 29, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So now Jesus points to faith in him 
as the new way to know and serve God. So they don't understand how they are to serve God. Jesus tells them, this is how you serve God. Believe in the one whom he has sent. And then as we go on, verses 30 through 33, they said, so they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So notice they say, what sign will you give? Remember, we, we talked about how John's gospel centers around seven signs and seven sayings of Jesus. So remember, John tells us his purpose statement in writing this gospel was that people might come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that by believing they may have life in his name And so then he frames everything around these signs and around these sayings. And so this is one of the signs. And they're asking him, what sign will you give us? Again, it just, it speaks of the utter hardness of the hearts of the people. And the fact that they're just so conditioned to think materialistically. And this is the natural state. And you know it. You know it by experience. You know it by observation. I mean, isn't it amazing? I I find this fascinating in a sad way that people whose lives are just a wreck and you talk to them about Jesus or you talk to them about the things of the Spirit, you talk to them about the possibility of a whole new experience in life. And they just can't even, they can't even conceive of it almost. It's just like these people. Jesus does this amazing miracle and they're going, so what sign are you going to show us? What do you think you just saw? But it's the blindness of the human heart. The Bible has taught us from the very beginning about the blindness, the hardness, the wickedness of the human heart. But you know, I think that we've a lot of times been tempted not to really believe it. Not to not believe it in the sense that, oh, I don't believe that, but just like, oh, I'm not sure if hearts are as hard as the Bible presents them. I'm not sure if people are as evil as um, the Bible says. You know, but people are pretty good. And you know, I mean, I was a sinner, but I wasn't that much of a sinner. Or maybe I was a big sinner, but I could have been a bigger sinner. But I've said this before, you know, as life goes on and the older I get and through 
personal experience and through observation of the outside world, man, the Bible is absolutely true. It is not overstating anything. It is stating the facts. Human nature is hardened and blinded to spiritual realities. And we see that right here with these people. So the bread was a sign pointing to him as the one who will satisfy and fulfill the hungry soul. That's what the sign was meant to convey. And as we see here, they make this reference back to Moses. Now, perhaps you remember back in Exodus in the 16th chapter, that's where we have this first appearance of God providing supernatural bread from heaven for the people to sustain them in the wilderness, the manna. And so they are looking at that, saying, Moses gave us that bread. Jesus is saying, well, actually, no. My father has given you the bread. So just keep that in mind. Just keep in mind that there's a link in the sense of the sign. There's a connection between the manna and between Jesus as the bread of life. And we'll come to that as we come to the end. But let's come now to the passage that I want to focus on. And that is here in verse 35. They said, sir, always give us this bread. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. And then he says, whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So here is the first of the I am statements. Six other times in John's gospel, he's going to do something similar. Here, I am the bread of life. In the eighth chapter, he will speak of himself as I am the light of the world. In the ninth chapter, I am the door or the gate. In the 10th chapter, I am the good shepherd. In the 11th chapter, I am the resurrection and the life. In the 14th chapter, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then finally, in the 15th chapter, I am the true vine. So those are the the seven times that Jesus takes the I am and then adds to it. So this is where we come back to the name. Now, the name Yahweh is the Hebrew, I am. You know, some some people have used the word Jehovah, and there was a, a time when some Bible translations even tried to translate the the Hebrew name for God as Jehovah. Uh, That's a mistaken translation. What they did, you probably know this, but in case you don't, in the Hebrew language, there are no vowels. There are just consonants, and then there are certain little markings that, that sort of indicate vowel sound. And to us, that's really awkward. You know, you think of, I mean, just think of a, a word and maybe even a longer word and, and take all the vowels out of it. And then you look at it like, okay, what, what is this? Well, in Hebrew, I mean, that's just the way it is. So it's not, it's not as perplexing to Hebrew readers as it might be to us. But what they were trying to understand is 
So what, are, what is the vowel pronunciations that go with the, these consonants that spell out the name of God? And there was a suggestion that we take another Hebrew word that's translated Lord, Adonai, and we take the, the vowels from Adonai and we add them to the YHVH or the YHWH. And so that's how they came up with this hybrid thing, this name Jehovah. But there was no warrant for doing that. There was no basis to do it. It was just simply an idea somebody had and they decided to do it. And so there was, uh, again, certain Bible translations, even I think the New American Standard at a certain point would translate Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, translate that as Jehovah. Yahweh is, I think, the better way. But I am that I am. It also carries the idea. Remember, we talked a minute ago about the aseity, the self-existence is the primary idea, but it also carries the idea that God would become all that his people ever could need. I am that I am is a statement to the effect that God is all sufficient. He is the self-existent one. He is the all-sufficient one. He is and will become all that his people will ever need. So we have a spiritual need that is like the physical need we call hunger. So here we have Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Now, this would very much speak to the people at the time. I think that the general idea is more food versus just specifically bread, but it's specifically bread in this context because this would speak very much to the diet of the people. Bread was a staple in the diet of the ancient Hebrews. It was the most common and considered an essential food. So here Jesus is taking what is essential for a healthy physical life and saying, what bread is to the body, I am to the soul and spirit of mankind. I am the bread of life. Remember, they ate the bread and they were satisfied. And they said, always give us this bread, Lord. They were satiated. Jesus says, I am the bread. Just as the body is dependent on food to live, so our spirits are dependent on Christ for life. We're dependent on Christ for life in every sense, but we, but we just don't realize it. You know, the letter to the Colossians, Paul speaks of Jesus as the one by whom all things consist and are held together. Now, even as Christians, we don't think about that so much, do we? Do we realize that the universe is held intact by Christ? The reason that the earth doesn't spin off out of its orbit. The reason the planets remain in their proper place, 
is because Christ is holding it all together. But we, even as the people of God, quite often we fail to realize that or to think of that. So we are entirely dependent on him, but in regard to our spiritual life, we are also as dependent upon Christ for our spiritual well-being as our physical bodies are dependent upon food. Now, the problem with the human race is that we have forgotten or in some cases denied that we are even spiritual beings. Materialism is probably the, the main philosophy by which the world operates. Not that everybody would be an avid materialist philosophically or in in their belief system, but practically the way we live, we live without much thought at all to the soul and spirit. And in some cases, particularly in the Western world, there is a denial that there is even the existence of the soul and the spirit. So there is a denying, but the reality is we are first and foremost spiritual beings. We are created in the image of God who is spirit. So although we have forgotten or denied that we are primarily spiritual in nature, God has seen to it that we have an ever-present reminder of this fact. And that ever-present reminder is an insatiable hunger within that no material physical thing can fill. Now, this is completely scientific. You know, science is based on observation and test and hypothesis. And and then, you know, after you do so many, you have a hypothesis and you do all of the experiments and so forth. And then you come to a conclusion based upon the data. The world is, is, is a laboratory. And let's see. Here's the hypothesis. That human beings are insatiable. That there's nothing in the material world that can bring satisfaction to human beings. What is the evidence? The evidence is all around you. The evidence is in you. The evidence is in your homes. The evidence is in your children. The evidence is in your, your friends, your neighbors, the community. This is what we see. Today, we can often see this in the lives of celebrities. Now, the celebrities are like taking, this is like specimen A. <laughs> this is like, this is the number one specimen. And we see it consistently over and over in the lives of the rich and famous who, although having every material thing at their fingertips, are nevertheless empty and discontent. You know, once in a while, I will stumble across a, uh, a biography of a, a famous person on Netflix or whatever. And every story is, is more or less the same.
month of May, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Basic Christianity by John Stott. What did Jesus come to do? And in what ways does that make Christianity unique? Does it matter if the claim that Jesus rose from the dead a historical fact or not? And what's wrong with believing that Jesus was simply a great teacher? In his book, Basic Christianity, John Stott answers those questions and many more that are fundamental to the Christian faith and any genuine inquiry into understanding the historical Jesus. Ever since Jesus lived, he's been largely misunderstood by both religious and secular groups alike. But understanding who Jesus is, what he came to do, and what he claimed are relevant for all people regardless of their current beliefs. If you're a Christian, this book will help you to better understand the basics of the Christian faith. If you're not a Christian, this book will help you to better understand the basic beliefs of millions in our global culture. If you want to know more about the basic beliefs of the Christian faith, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order Basic Christianity by John Stott. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, We'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the Gospel of John. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.